the Source of Uncertainty, a podcast about Bukla instruments. My name is Kyle Swisher. And I'm Robert Standifer. And uh, yeah, we decided to make a podcast about Bukla instruments because uh, we are a bit obsessed and uh, just try to consume all that we can about these instruments. The uh, podcast started as the next logical step. So I uh, purchased a Bukla Music Easel about two years ago, and yeah, been in love ever since. What about you, Robert? Yeah, I bought mine. It's kind of a quick, funny story. I bought it in August. Well, I pre-ordered it, you know, March of 2017, and it arrived in August of 2017, the day before I left on a week-long cruise. So I, all I had to take with me was the metaprogramming manual that, that Alan Strange wrote. <laughs> and I read that thing on the cruise and just couldn't wait to get home to my to my brand new easel. And it was an easel K, so it didn't do anything when you turned it on. Oh, <laughs> wow. Pro- programmed the 223. But yeah, I, I, um, I fell in love with that and, and it completely changed the way I looked at music, you know, and I bought a two a, a 200e system started putting that together in April of 2018 and that's where we met each other Kyle at the patchworks event um, in downtown Seattle or Capitol Hill in Seattle and you brought your easel and I had my easel or my yeah my easel and my 12u bookless system at the time yeah I kind of started been playing or playing some shows at Maja on the spot and becoming friends with a lot of people that played with your rack stuff but you were the first person that uh, played Luke instruments, and so I was like, I found my, I found my people here. <laughs> the other guy, <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> one other people, and uh, and so yeah. Since then, we've just been chatting back and forth nonstop for the past year about I think, this stuff. I think we've only had a conversation about other topics once or twice. But yeah, it, there's a <laughs> there's a lot of like Luke weird, awkward silences in there, and then we just get back to. to <laughs> To what we're obsessed about all the current uh, events going on in the world come back to bucla somehow that's right we'll 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 figure out a way for sure um so yeah kind of all that back and forth led us to uh this idea of making a, a monthly bucla podcast um and the idea is kind of maybe to make it like a um like a magazine or a digest because it probably will be pretty long shows um, probably closer to two hours for some of these. And uh, what's great about podcasts is you can always pause it and come back and finish it whenever you want to. So, um, so yeah, you've got a, a month to take it in before the next one will come out. We'll kind of run down some news. Uh, we'll do music spotlights. Talk about modules. And, uh, and then get some great guests on here too for people that are either making modules or playing the instruments. So... Yeah, I'll have to have some, some good people on here. Yeah, and, and unlike the guests that we'll have on the show, Kyle and I aren't really experts on all of this stuff. So the show is really about our enthusiasm for the bukla and the, and the music that everybody makes with it and, and the technical topics and patching and all that kind of stuff. So we're just always looking to learn more about bukla by talking to other folks about it and sharing what we've, what we've discovered. We hope you uh, enjoy the ride and... With that, let's get into some news. So there's some interesting news from about Bukla at Superbooth this year, right? Yeah. So um, first off, 
Buchla USA was at Superbooth showing off the new red panel system. And that's a Buchla 100 series modules set in URAC form. When do those come out? That's coming out in August, I believe. So later this summer. And got other little bit of Buchla news. Um, they're actually moving their headquarters to a larger location in downtown Minneapolis. And Cool. Yeah. I guess the, the spacing allow them for increased assembly and quality control. And they're also going to have a dedicated showroom for musicians and guests to visit. That's awesome. Um, Minneapolis is a great town. I have friends there. So now I have yet another reason to make the trip. And it's a direct flight from Seattle. I might have to tag along. Yeah. And, you know, Northern Light Modular was at Superbooth also. Um, big fan of their work. They have eight new H series modules and a new music easel expansion card called easel MIDI. It's a 10 channel CV to MIDI encoder that um, allows you to convert the easels voltages into MIDI uh, CC. You get note on and off velocity and aftertouch. And you can see more about that at Northern Light Modular's new website at northernlightmodular.com. Yeah, a lot of those H modules are pretty cool. They're doing some really kind of interesting stuff. I think they even have like a drum module that's based off of like a, a boss product. Which kind of yeah, is that the electric dump tour maybe? Something like, or like a finger drum thing or something? Oh yeah, that, yeah. And the, the uh, just if you're interested in H-series, you can get an H-bracket from SA Modular to put your H-series modules in a, like an SA Modular case. Oh, I, nice. I have one in a drawer. Once I finish my HVC and H-ed, They'll both go in there, both complements of Northern Light Modular. I think they actually might be um, producing them themselves, too, now that a bunch of these are coming out, too. So, um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, check out their website. Another set of Buchla modules that uh, also was debuting at Superbooth was from uh, Metro Modular out of Australia. And it's really cool. They're doing two lines of modules. One's a DIY line that um, is kind of based off of a few 100 series modules. And then they're going to have a, a line of modules that come fully assembled. And one of them I'm really excited about is uh, called the Rumic Cube. And yeah. that's a dual quad or eight speaker surround signal panner. And it lets you, yeah, CV from left to right, front to back. But also if you're using it in this dual quad, I think their idea is that if you had speakers that were mounted on the ceiling and then also yeah. down below you can also uh pan your signals to go up and down as well uh, but it's, I, I need to experience that right and uh yeah i think everybody should um <laughs> but what's really cool is that it's in a single space module which you know all the kind of quad stuff that's come out um mainly from Buchla so far you know it's either two space panels or four for the original 227 while it doesn't have mixing capabilities it's pretty neat and those are diy right do you know if they're going to have them pre-built also for that line um that's going to be pre-built yeah just the the diy ones were um oh yeah based off the 100 series but they've got that room at cube and then they have this other right. one called the i think it's called the bothian wheel that has a bunch of red leds and it has some um I haven't even really quite got my head wrapped around it, but it's kind of like some sort of maybe wave shaper phase splitter thing. There's a lot of pulse outputs on it, which is always useful. 
I've been talking with Justin over there at Metro Modular, and um, I think we'll have him on the show once the modules are starting to be released, so we can kind of get more info on them. Um, yeah, awesome. but until then, you can go to uh, metro-modular.com for more information on those. And there's a great uh, super booth video where I think it might have been Divked Ben was talking to Justin and got a neat demo of the of the Metro Modular stuff. If I'm if I'm remembering yeah, that, yeah, right. you can get a better idea of what that Bothian wheel is that I <laughs> still haven't figured out. Yeah. Another cool thing, yeah, is also that they're doing a drop in um, power supply solution too. So it'll be interesting to kind of hear more about that. Well, the other bit of Buchla news at Superbooth is ALM Busy Circuits is releasing a Pamela's new workout in Buchla format. And well, I should say they they want to release it, so they don't have in mind when it will come out. They'll go into production based on the amount of interest in that. And I have that module in Eurorack. It is a fantastic clock generator, multiplier, divider. It does a ton of stuff, way more than that. Yeah. And in the Buchla format, I'm pretty excited about it because you have more inputs and of course the banana jacks so if you're interested in a pamela's new workout in the bukla format then get in touch with them at uh, alan busy circuits is at busycircuits.com yeah i think the more we bug them and show them you know who's interested um the more likely it'll actually go into production i i would love to see more of the 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 great they're just really more of the Eurorack stuff showing up in Buchla. You know, we've seen that with Northern Light. Modular did that with the two TT. Nineteen seventy nine did that with um, you know all part of Grayscale did that with clouds and rings and uh, of course braids. I I think that's really cool. And then going the other way, Buchla going into Eurorack with the red panel will get people more access to that classic Buchla sound. So this is all great news. Yeah, yeah, it's a good mix. We're now going to get into the music spotlight section of the show. This is where we take a look at some music being made with Bukla instruments. If you'd like us to spotlight the music that you make with your Bukla system, you can email us at sourceofuncertaintypod at gmail.com. Form is an album by visual artist and composer Jamie Druin. It comprises eight tracks for 32 minutes of minimalist electronic music performed on a relatively compact Buchla setup. This album explores sonic territory that challenges expectations of the Buchla sound and embraces the Buchla as the bizarre electronic musical instrument that it is. Fusiform deftly crosses the threshold between experimental and avant-garde. As you settle into comfort in its elegiac mood and the serenity of its drones, the abrupt changes in timbre challenge you to let your attention drift elsewhere. As Jamie says, his bookla reflects how I prefer compact, well-considered systems that inspire the discovery of sounds and compositions within a handful of cables and knobs, rather than letting endless expansion govern my studio process. 
As Buchla system incorporates a 208 stored program sound source, the 266E source of uncertainty, the 267E uncertainty source dual filter, the 285E frequency shifter balanced modulator, and the 281H-292H function generator dynamics manager combo, all stored in a Buchla music easel case. Two tracks exploit the external input amplifier on the 208, using a piezoelectric transducer to both add external gestural sounds and to convert them into control voltages. The subtle metallic sounds and singular percussive strikes are from a saucepan lid and wooden spoon amplified through the 208 and the spring reverb. Don Buchla would be proud. Fusiform also incorporates an Akai reel-to-reel to, as Jamie puts it, extend the fabric of recorded tones by speeding up or slowing down the tape. This model only has two running speeds, but it's enough to allow me to pull apart a waveform like a slinky being extended, and to reveal additional timbres, or to compress an already fast-moving series of pulses into a singular unstable tone. He says, the tools I use are a reflection of my personal need for simplicity, but also that they expose and make visible processes and phenomena which might be overlooked inside other environments. The Buchla sound generators on this album are constrained to the 208's complex and mod oscillators, but that isn't blatantly apparent because Jamie creates layers of sound by multi-tracking it. The 285E is particularly on display providing the frequency shifting for the bell-like tones and contributing additional dimension to the 208's oscillators. Jamie's use of randomness with the 266E, 267E, and the 208 make the shifts interesting without forcing them forward. The compactness of Jamie's setup demonstrates the vast possibilities that are inherent in the Buchla philosophy, particularly when guided by intent. Each track on the album is a different sonic exploration within an overall theme. And as a big fan of this type of music, I highly recommend that you check out and purchase Fusiform, along with other albums by Jamie, at infrequencyeditions.bandcamp.com.
Manda by Nezrep is a 25-minute EP that incorporates a Buka Skylab system into a situation that is jazzy as hell. Too often I'm focused on what the Buka can do by itself, and this EP slapped me right across the face with the fact that it can offer so much to an ensemble situation. Group figurehead Mikhail Nezrep's Buka journey started by DIYing the 208 easel clone and other modules. Since then, he discovered the practical use of a 200E system with MIDI and recall implementation, so he transitioned into a 10U Skylab system consisting of a 259 twisted waveform generator, a 258 dual oscillator clone, a 267E uncertainty source and dual filter, the quad envelope and low pass gate combo of the 281E and the 292E, a 296E spectral processor, the 225E MIDI decoder and preset manager, and the 227E quadraphonic mixer. This system allows Mikkel to be portable and consistent for live performances. While I would have thought that the songs on the Manda EP were written on other instruments and the buku was added as the icing on the cake, it turns out it was the other way around. As Mikkel explains, I really love to experiment with my bukla and it's basically where most of my songs start from. I'm always trying to make a soundscape first, which a song can evolve from. I think having the 296E Spectre processor is a bold choice for the size of system that Mikkel is working with, and it's completely welcomed when you hear the dynamic percussion hits that are perfectly shelled within the context of the group and provide some great ear candy. Mikkel uses Ableton Live through the 225E MIDI module. Mikkel explains, if you can live with the computer on stage, I think it's the most powerful sequencing tool, and it's hard to beat. But some of the MIDI sequences are run through the 267E uncertainty source to create a human feel. He also likes to play with randomness, making it hard for his drummer when he's performing what he calls a solo of uncertainty. While I don't condone torturing drummers, Mikkel's process is used to great effect. While the EP is only four songs long, two of which are remixes of the first two tracks, Manda and Calm Cacophony, the remixes serve as fresh callbacks and creative extensions to the source material. I highly encourage you to check out and purchase the Manda EP at nezrup.bandcamp.com. That's N-E-J-R-U-P.
We're now going to get into the module deep dive section of the podcast, and today we're taking a look at the source of uncertainty, model 266. Its dense feature set and beautiful design showcases the Buchla instrument ethos in one module. The source of uncertainty gets its roots from Don Buchla's first modular system in 1965. The Series 100 had the white noise generator, Model 160, and the dual random voltage source, Model 165. But the first module named Source of Uncertainty was born in 1970 with the advent of Don's 200 series modular system. Labeled Model 265, the module had both white noise, fluctuating random voltage, and a stepped random voltage source. Several years later, the Source of Uncertainty came Model 266, and that added a few more features. The 266 was later refined as part of the 200E series and became the 266E. Today, we are fortunate to have the 266E model, as well as a clone version of the 200 series 266 that the brilliant Scott Yeager from Industrial Music Electronics has lent us. Let's patch them up. Okay, so here we are. All right. We're uh, staring at uh, the abyss. The, the very silver abyss. And uh, before we jump into the uh, source of uncertainty, um, Robert, what do you use the source of uncertainty for? That's a good question, you know, because I don't really make that what I call clink clank music of lots of different tiny pulses going across the whole pitch class or pitch range. Since I do a lot of ambient stuff, I like to use the uh, the 266E to kind of um, more randomly bring in and out different swells of my ambient music. Um, I like to plug it into the attack and decay on the quad function generator 281E to sort of um, shape that envelope. And I also use it a lot with the the um, frequency and timbre inputs on the frequency shifter 285. Um, to just sort of unpredictably add FM to things. I find that to be really, really fun. And I guess yeah. the other the other big one too is on the 291E triple morphing filter, you know, if you set a bunch of different stages in that and then you have the frequency shifted between the, the, um, the frequency of the filter turned up or down, I will advance through the stage with a pulse and then use the random output into the ABC inputs on the filter. Mm-hmm. So it will shift that filter sweep a little bit on the stage and add a little bit of unpredictability as it goes through the sequence of the 291, which is really, really fun too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I've I've just got the easel. Um, so I just have step random voltage that I use um, from it. And a lot of times I just use it where I know my, I can't use my hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I will direct it towards timbre. Um and uh and like the modulation index to influence stuff but i have found if you run it fast enough um there's only like 127 stages of yeah. uh steps in the uh in the 208 and it will kind of come up with its own uh rhythm if you run it fast enough and so i've had yeah. fun kind of mess around with that but that, um the model 416 that we were talking about you remember the the, the easel yeah. expander thingy it had a noise source on it that had more um, I guess a, a wider range of noise generation because it was analog. That just oh, kind of gotcha. popped in my head yeah. as a one way that we were trying to solve. And I think the Ox Expander has a a noise generator on it too because we're always looking for better ways to do that randomness you mm-hmm. know, from the internal. Because that's how it's, of course, generated. But anyway, I'm off on a tangent there. Sorry. Yeah, so let's uh, jump into it. So we have both um, the the new, the 
E and the clone of the 266 um, the, from the 200 series, but we're kind of just going to run down, I think, mostly off of what's on the 266E, and we'll talk about what's different as we get to um, each section. So to start off, um, let's check out the noise. Yeah, all right. So we're going to go with the flat noise first. Um, so yep, we've got flat, and then they've got two other sections in it, which is the plus, uh, or sorry, minus three, uh, dB, which is obviously a little bit darker, and then we've got the plus three, which is much higher, um, you can see the plus three being a bit more useful because you've got kind of more frequencies to pull from maybe when you're filtering it, um, which I think is what a lot of people do with noise. But um, but yeah, we'll kind of check that out in a patch later. Um, and then, yeah, we're just going to kind of go top to bottom. So the next section is the fluctuating random voltage section. Um, so this section, instead of... Um, the voltages being stepped, they just kind of slew around in a random function. Yeah, so as uh, annoying as it is just to sometimes hear um, random pitches getting flown around, um, it seems to be the best way to hear what the random voltages are doing. So we're going to kind of run through... Um, just kind of breaking down the module with the uh, random voltages going into pitch of a 261E and um, and then we'll kind of throw some stuff and some patches. So let you want to start with the 266 first, the clone? Um, sure. Yeah, so... So we'll patch that into pitch. Sounds like an LFO. Yeah, and this is about kind of halfway up on the knob, so it has um, a knob to uh, change the rate of the change so at pretty low it can get kind of unperceivable sometimes or yeah. it goes very slow um, and then sped up it gets much yeah. crazier um, I've noticed that the range kind of I guess if you look at the wattage or the um, the volts as like you know one through ten it kind of stays in the five volt range and then fluctuates down or up from there so it kind of stays in the middle um, yeah where i think if we flip it over to yours it does bounce around a lot more and yours i mean the uh, 266e oh man yeah listen to the sustain on that So you can hear that it's, because this is a digital module, you're hearing that sort of stepping as the uh, random voltages fluctuate through that range. This is attenuated all the way to the left on 0 0.05. It's quite a bit different from your analog 266. Yeah. Let's, yeah, crank it up and see. Yeah, so that's... A got to be yeah, much that's... faster than the uh, 
And you don't really hear the kind of clicking through the steps in the way. Yeah, you don't hear them at the, the really, really fast, just when it's more like an LFO here. I turn up the timbre slightly. It's really nice and slow. Here it comes. You kind of hear that, um, I guess if we were running through an oscilloscope, it would look kind of like a sine wave with a whole bunch of stair steps on it. to this, uh, I guess the third section, is the uh, quantized random voltages. Yeah, so we'll take a pulse out from the 281E into the pulse in. I'm on the, I guess the C section, the C section of the, um, of the quantized random, quantized random voltages on the 266E. So if I send that, that's with the attenuator up to about 24, and the there are two, the two um, modes that you set with a switch, the distribution ranging from flat to bell, and the time correlation running from none to high. And on Kyle's 266 uh, clone, there's a printout of that on the faceplate that makes it much easier to sort of figure out. Would you, would you agree with that, Kyle? It kind of makes it easier to figure out what those two values mean versus the LEDs on my 266E. Yeah, I think as easy it is to... Uh comprehend any of these modu <laughs> modules <laughs> I, I don't really disclaimer. know what two end states or n plus one state necessarily means um but after messing with it um yeah i can find that one output has a very flat um distribution of the uh random yeah. where it can have very low um voltages and compared to the high in the middle it's just very even and then the other section um it kind of focuses in the middle range yeah if you think of it like um i'm in the bell curve uh, distribution and the high time correlation with the attenuator set to about um about 10 and so you can kind of hear the voltages are leaning more toward that that's the center of that curve so you're not getting a lot of low and you're not getting a lot of high and then if I turn this all the way up to 24, you're getting just a little bit more of that variance, but you're still not going to get lots of highs and lots of lows. Mm -hmm. It's a really sharp bell curve. And so when you turn that number down, you're just getting two states, right? Yeah. So this is on flat none, so you get kind of like a bit on or off. <laughs> <laughs> Which could be good, I mean, because it's, it's getting a pulse, or it's changing at every pulse that it gets. So if you kind of run one fast, you get some uh, random rhythms out of it. If yeah. You put it into, like, a gate. And then, yeah, as you move the dial up, it introduces... One thing that's interesting about this mode here on this, turned all the way to the left to two with a flat and none, is it the pulse, uh, the decay is set to about 30, or point, I should say, 0 0.30. So the, the, it's a pretty fast pulse, but because the distribution is so low, you know, it's zero or one, you're actually getting quite a, you're, you're hitting the zero, 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 one, zero, one, mm -hmm. as opposed to it kind of holding that voltage and sounding like it's just alternating between them. 
Yeah. Which I think is, is kind of interesting to think about in your head about what this looks like on a, on a curve, basically like a square wave, you know, on or off. Mm -hmm. So this makes for an interesting gate source. I use this sometimes um, with a, by boosting the signal a bit to advance the pulses on my 251E uh, quad sequential voltage source. It's not always super duper effective, but um, it makes for kind of an interesting random gate. Mm -hmm. Works pretty well. So let's check out your 266 here with the same thing going on. Yeah, so, um, yeah, starting out, this is the kind of evenly distributed um, section. Um, I'm all the way down, so you can just hear kind of like the two states that it's going through, but as I move it up past two, it adds like a third voltage in there. This is about halfway up. Does jump around the whole spectrum pretty well, and then getting all the way up. This is something I noticed, Kyle. Um, looking over at your 266, it looks like the LED for the bottom section, mm -hmm. the, the the second output for the quantize, is it? Is that getting lit up also? Because mine is a a non-stop blue because it doesn't have a pulse coming in on that channel, but you only have one pulse for the whole. Yeah, so the 266E tends to have, or it seems to have a, a, two pulses for each out, I guess an even even pulse for even for um, CV out, where the 266 of the 200 series, um, it shares one pulse in, but then it outputs two different um, types of voltage. So switching over to the um, the n plus one stage distribution, where all of these um, are kind of focused towards the middle, so you get less um, low lows and less high highs. From Interesting. That's really cool. So if I were sending the two different pulses into my quantize section from two different channels of the 281, then I would get, of course, different outputs. Um, for C and D, but the controls for flat, none, and for the distribution and the time correlation and the attenuator would apply to both of those channels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess Whereas so. you have a discrete n plus one and it's two n states. Two to the n. Wow. <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier about um, about Don and his design aesthetic, and he was definitely very much a mathematician engineer type. You know, for two to the n and n minus one. I mean, the stuff it definitely makes sense, especially when we're talking about voltages and probability and and all of that. But it's kind of cool to see, you know, as we start to descend into this bit, this kind of um, this very math oriented approach to making music. Yeah, and to like just the musician that was a guitar player and you know <laughs> barely graduated high school. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this stuff is interesting. It is. It's, it's making me think about my applied probability and statistics course. Like, I wish I'd paid better attention <laughs> be able to make better random music. If they had only told you that you're going to be a, a Buchla owner, <laughs> yeah. that you're going to need this. You, know? you get a PhD in this module. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's move on to um, the last section of the 266E, um, the stored random voltages. We'll start, let's start with you this time, Kyle. Okay. Kyle. Um, so this once again has uh, two different outputs. Um, you're hearing the flat output right now. So um, 
you're getting just uh, the voltages are kind of all over the spectrum. Um, and there is a, a probability knob that goes from low to high that doesn't seem to affect it. Um, and I believe it just uh, affects the second output. So we've been hearing this for a while. So I'm going to switch it over to the second output. So if it's in the low section, you're just hearing a lot of lows. Like it's not getting up very, yeah. very high. As I move it up towards the middle, it kind of introduces some more voltages in the middle spectrum. And then as I crank it up to high, it's mostly high stuff. Um, what I failed to mention about the last three sections is that each one of these knobs um, is also CV controllable. So you can CV the, the probability rate, which is pretty cool. Um, same with the uh, quantized random voltage and the, the fluctuating random voltage. The On the 266E, you can't voltage control the quantized random voltages. It has two pulse inputs and two CV outputs. So that's kind of interesting, but it, it does have an A and B um, in CV input for fluctuating random voltages. And then on the stored random voltages, similar to Kyle's 266, it has CV control of each one of the, you know what, I'm gonna correct myself. I just realized Kyle, Kyle that the, look at oh, this, this yeah. Oh yeah, it goes up there, that's right. That's Remember. right, There's in the, at the bottom of the stored random voltages, there is a, CV input for the quantized random voltage. It says number. It just is lined up with all the other voltage inputs. I never really noticed that. So I'm, I'm glad that I realized that <laughs> after owning this module for a year that I, all this time I could have been CV controlling them. So the stored random voltages on the 266E also has, <clears throat> has two outputs and two pulse inputs. On the 266 that Kyle was just talking about, he has one pulse input that affects both sections. And I'm watching the, as the pulses come in on his module, the LEDs for the two violet outputs are, are lighting up relative to the pulse and the, um, the distribution for each one of those outputs. But on my module, there's a, an E and an F, and the, the E and the F outputs are different. They're the different um, stages of the, pro, of the distribution. So I have the ability to update on the F uh, channel of the 266E to send a pulse to tell the random, uh, the stored random voltage thing to change a, um, basically, how do you, how do we think we could best explain that? Because on the top section on the E, similar to the 266, the pulse is going to essentially cycle through the stored random voltage. Mm -hmm. But if I switch to F, it, it does something similar to it, but it's, they're calling it an update, like it is um, telling the probability and distribution attenuators that the value, the incoming value, the outgoing values should change based on a pulse. So do you think that update is just an extra label to make those? Because if you look at the module, all of the inputs and outputs at the bottom of the module, they all line up and all of them have a label. Yeah, they're all sh shared. I think... I you think, think update is just a way that they... <laughs> I mean, I think it just seems like progress to the next one. There's probably a, I'm sure it's large. I'm sure it's like a, a huge amount of stored random voltages in there. Do you think that the update is different from the pulse input? On I the, mean, because I wonder if they just have it there to make it all line up. See, I, I never yeah. noticed that. This, this is what I love about 
sitting here and going through the modules in a way that isn't, that, that's more abstract. You know, I'm not trying to actually make music. So I look at that and I see it says update. I'm like, what is that really? <laughs> and I started talking about it, about what I assumed it was. And then it, it hit me. Well, you know, all of these <laughs> CV inputs and outputs line up. So maybe it's just the label or is there, so if anybody's listening to this and knows what update means, please let us know. It might be something, you know, but then again, it could just be one of those cool quirks of, right. you know, of a buccal module because the aesthetics of course are very important on these. But so back to the <laughs> stored random voltage, similar to Kyle's um, 266. I have the attenuator for the um, stored voltage output. The skew is set to about five. And there's a little LED that lights up green or red. Green if I'm moving to the left or, or red as I'm moving to the right. So this is the same thing, kind of like the probability of being high voltages or low voltages. Yeah, because here I have it turned all the way up. You're only going to get the high voltage. And when I turn it all the way left... You get a little bit of variance in there between the two voltages. And so the other the other attenuators affect what's called degree and chaos. And if with the with the uh, skew set to the middle and degree turned all the way to the right, you get the greatest ran the greatest amount of randomness or probability of change for that for the skew. So when I turn it all the way to the left, the degree for the amount of skew is very, very small. It's kind of easier to sort of visualize, right? As um, you're looking at a set, and if the set has 10 items in it, that's your skew, and the degree changes the, the visibility of sorts of the values in that set from zero to 10. So if I turn that all the way up, and then I change it to 10 on the degree because the skew is turned all the way up. There's a, a basically an infinitely small amount of values that the degree can go through. That's, man, that is so technical. It's so, like, <laughs> and I love it. I do. And so that, and all of that was with the chaos knob turned attenuated all the way to the left, which would be the bell, the high bell. And then when I turn that all the way to the right to flat, So now with the... Everything's cranked to... Yes, everything's cranked to the right. Thanks, Kyle. The <laughs> skew is at, ten, at roughly 10, degree is at 10, and chaos is at, is at uh, flat. So now you can hear some of the variance in the highest voltages on skew. And when I turn the chaos all the way down to bell, it's a very, very, very tight range of voltages and skew, which to our ears, at least to my ears, sounds like essentially the same pitch, maybe with some very, very slight yeah. variation. So keep it in the middle for the skew. Yeah. Um. It's similar to the quantized random voltages, you know, with this, with the button that you press to go between the distributions and time correlations, you just have a little bit more um, control. control here. Now, while you sacrifice sorts control over degree and chaos, as far as I can tell, you do have functions in the 266 that I don't have in the 266E. Yeah, so there uh, for the 200 series 266, um, there was a sample and hold um, 
as well as uh, what he's calling an integrator, which is basically a, a slew limiter. Um, so basically, while the um, quantized random voltages and stored random voltages are stepped, you can uh, run those into the integrator and slew them so then they have um, the feel of a fluctuating random voltage. Interesting. Um, so, but then you can have maybe more control over those fluctuating random voltages with the um, through the different distribution rates too. Yeah, um, and they're also pulsed, so you can um, have it slewed, and they can very slowly rise to that next value. Yeah, um, as you you know periodically pulse through those those stages, um, and yeah, I've got um, I was messing around with it last night and i got some uh really good uh i've never really messed with a sample and hold mm -hmm. before yeah um but i got some good uh do you know the pedal the rainbow machine yeah i do yeah devices i got some good rainbow machine noises i did record them so i'll i'll throw That's them up cool. here So the, the sample and hold in the 266, I was, I was reading about it. You know, one of the things that I love about Buchla is sometimes they use words that mean other things to, to define something for them. But in this case, <laughs> it actually is a sample and hold. Yeah. Um, it is a real sample and hold circuit, which is great. And it's also an analog sample and hold circuit. And so it'll, it'll sample that incoming voltage. And then, you know, based on a certain other voltage, it will reset the sample, you know, and it can create its own type of randomness, especially if you're sending in multiple pulses. And I haven't played with it on the 266 much, but I did have it on my Eurorack version of that, the uh, West Coast Sputnik West, West Coast Random Source. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good sample and hold. It's way more featured, full featured than the sample and hold that I had on like the ARP Odyssey, gotcha. you know, or, um, or even in the, the SH module I have for my, my huge 5U system. Is that, I mean, because I'm not super well-versed in sample and holds, is that because it has the alternate alternate outs for the yeah. CVs? Yeah, it's got the, the, the multiple outs for the CV and the multiple pulse inputs too. So it, it can, I don't want to say it would work like an analog shift register because it's not that, but it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. I'm not enough of an expert at all, really, to explain why, that is what it is. But in terms of using it, it feels like it's a, a richer sample and hold experience than the other SNH modules that I've used in Eurorack, which were very, very basic by design. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't dive, I need to dive into that. Um, I need to borrow that 266 for a while <laughs> and kind of dive into the, the sample and hold because in my Buchla system, I don't have a single, I don't have sample and hold anywhere. I have to kind of approximate it mm -hmm. or use a Eurorack module um, outboard. So that, that's a very, very interesting and powerful way to do a different type of randomization in Buchla that isn't necessarily, uh, that isn't getting the voltages directly from the 266. It can come from outside that module. But of course, you can patch from the 266 itself into its own sample and hold and do some pretty cool stuff there. Yeah. 
I wonder why Dawn also with the new version um, for the 200 E series, maybe why he took away the sample and hold and the integrator. Probably because of, you know, all the other stuff in here, it has the same three sec, four sections, including noise source. Right. Yeah. But it has more voltage control of the bottoms of the stored random voltages. Yeah. And looking at the, the two modules sort of side by side, the A section, the top section, it's pretty much the same. Two inputs, two outputs. For the fluctuating, yeah. Yeah, for fluctuating, thank you. And then the second section, the quantized, you have two inputs that are pulse and CV. I have two inputs that are pulse, plus that brand new, full, freshly emergent number CV that I discovered at the bottom of the module. And then a switch to go between the modes. So I wonder if, as he was designing the module, when he get, got to the stored random voltages bit, it just felt like making that richer, yeah. you know? Yeah, full featured instead of, in something that he designed, yeah. in a way, instead of, um, I mean, sample hold has been around. Exactly. It's a, it's actually a very simple circuit. Yeah. And I remember Ezra Bukla talking on, I think it might have been in a podcast, they all started to run together, but he was talking about how Don, when working on the 200E, wanted to create a lot of new things. And he also wanted the opportunity to do the things that he wasn't able to do in the, mm -hmm. in the 200 series. So I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I, I think that maybe when he created the stored random voltages, he would have liked to have but, been yeah. able to have more control over those things. Yeah. And then he saw the opportunity with the 266E. Um, well, there's almost nothing more sexier than random voltage going into pitch. Uh, <laughs> it might be better to put these kind of into maybe quote unquote real world yeah. situations. So uh, we're going to patch some stuff up. All right. So I have um, decided to patch up the uh, 200 series, uh, 266, the clone of it. And I'm going to kind of talk through what I'm doing. I'm mainly using the, um, the music easel as the sound source and, uh, so I started out by putting a uh, fluctuating, fluctuating random voltage uh, into the timbre of the complex oscillator. So you can kind of faintly hear that wobbling around a bit. And then I've got a five-step sequence going to the modulation oscillator. Which sounds like this. And I decided to use the integrator, which is the slew limiter on um, the 266, to give the note transition a bit of a slide. Right there. So we've got that going. Um, and then I've also got the noise source uh, going through a uh, 281. And I've got... Um, so that's being pulsed. And then I have random uh, step random voltage going to the decay of the uh, 281. So that's kind of um, making what sound like a hi-hat kind of opening up a bit was my goal for this. Um, and then I've also got a, uh, for the complex oscillator, um, a pulse triggering the envelope. And the envelope has... Uh, uh, stored random voltage going to the uh, decay of it. 
and I've also have the arpeggiator set to random. So when I have that plunking along, it, every pulse um, changes the random voltage, and it kind of messes with the decay of the, the length of the notes. So when I put it all together, I've got that going. to use the random voltage. I also have the uh, sample and hold um, taking in the pulses, and I have the uh, two pulse outs, which kind of um, is basically a um, pulse divider by half. Um, so that's also triggering um, portions of the random voltage, uh, the quantized portion of it, just switching every, every version of the pulse that comes into that. So, um, yeah. I'm going to switch it over to Robert now for his patch. Okay, so for my patch, I'm doing something that's a little bit less melodic. <clears throat> um, Kyle's patch sounded really great. He's pretty much a master at the easel these days. Um, doing something a little out of the ordinary, I think, for myself. I tend to make a lot of, a lot of music that has um, pretty low lows lots of FM and things like that. So for this, I've decided to use the 266 to modulate the 291E triple morphing filter and the pitch on my 258 dual programmable oscillator and do lots of FM. So what I have uh, before I, I hit play is I have the uh, the minus 3 dB oct per octave um, noise source going into the modulation input on the 291E for AM and bandwidth, for amplitude and bandwidth with the, the attenuator turned all the way up. And I have the uh, quantized voltage source is receiving a pulse from the 281E and sends bank A <clears throat> to the bandwidth input on the 291 and to the um, frequency input on the 291. So there's lots of, lots of random stuff going into there. The 251E is generating the pulses. I've set the, I use the 251E's random um, setting to generate a set of uh, random times, intervals for the pulses. So here's what it sounds like. So we'll bring up the volume a bit. Okay. 
So now I'm using the stored random voltage to change the wave shape of the 258E. Now the wave shape of the modulation oscillator in the 25080. Change the noise source to plus 3 dB. Modulate bandwidth. And now I'm going to modulate the velocity of the, on the 292E with the uh, fluctuating voltage source. So it's, it'll come really quiet. There it goes. So what's happening is the, the volume of the A channel on the 292E is opening and closing based on the fluctuating source. So now for something completely different, I'm going to take the, two, the noise source out from the, uh, to the for the 266E and send it to the skew mode, the mem skew of the 259E. So we'll put in the mem skew. for some pretty interesting sounds. In the lowest, the, the minus 3 dB per octave noise source, you'll hear that it's the, less to, the least amount of change in the memskew. And when I move it up to the plus 3 dB, you get a much more pronounced change and that, hear that, that interesting pluck sound. Pretty crazy. So that was fun. And obviously the 266 is a great module and tough to master. But if there's somebody that maybe does have a good hold of it, it's Todd Barton, uh, the creator of the Krell patch. And um, 
yeah, so we've got him on the show today, and we're going to get into, yeah, how he uses random, especially within the 266, and a bunch of this stuff. Yeah, we'll get some great insights from him. So here's Todd. Yeah, so welcome to the show. Um, Kyle might have told you a lot about what we're doing here. We're just, this is our first episode of the podcast, and um, we're talking about Bukla in more of a detailed way and more of a specific way. And so we'll have a regular cadence of shows where we talk to people who uh, use the Bukla system, Bukla 280 or ESOL or 300, if we can find somebody that has one of those, (laughs) or 700 to make music. And um, we also go over modules and we talk about our own experiences uh, recording and performing Bukla music. So very excited to have you. Yeah, very, very excited. My pleasure. Sounds sounds like a cool uh, journey. Yeah, that kind of sums uh, sums up Bukla in general, right? It's a, <laughs> yep. it's a great great journey. That's what makes it so much fun. So um, I think for most people that that have know you, I think most people that are going to be listening to the podcast uh, now probably have a good idea of of your history. Um, with the instrument and I know there's a story that you've cited a few times like on Tim's podcast where you were up in uh, Doug Leonard's uh, attic for three days. Uh, oh, uh, Doug Leedy. No, oh, Doug Leedy, sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, using the easel and um, then you had uh, a bit of a, a gap between you um, then getting your own system. So when did you, you get your first Buchla system? Uh, so yes, 2004, I got my first system and that, uh, hardly knew what to do with it. It was so huge and, and full of all sorts of, uh, things to explore. Uh, and kind of brand new at the time. Cause that was, that was the same year that the 200 E system was released, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it was like one of the first. So you didn't have a two, you weren't into the 200 series then, right? From the, the original 200 from the 70s. Uh, no, I didn't have access to one here in Little Ashland. Uh, all I had was, uh, not all I had, what I had was, and I loved, was a, a three-panel surge system that Surge and Barrel had built for me back in 1979. Since I couldn't afford an easel back in 1979. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> It's it's funny, you know. The um, you're so you're such a big part of the Bukla community. I think that the natural inclination, the natural belief, is that you've been in it, since, you know, for the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so when we see the videos, you know, where you're um, showing clones, like I've seen mm-hmm. the 92C and such, I think people have been kind of assuming that that's your original 200 system. Uh, no, that's a system. It is all clones. And uh, so I got that over, uh, built that up over the last, I'd say, six years or so, six or seven. And in fact, I really didn't have time to spend on the Bukla until I retired, <laughs> which has been for seven, uh, seven years ago. And then I just went after it with a vengeance uh, every day in the studio spending weeks just trying to learn one module at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And we've all benefited from that because you're, um, you know, you've got a great YouTube channel and, um, and yeah, you're great with sharing that. And it's kind of interesting because I think for a lot of people that are getting into Bukla now, 
um, you're probably one of the first, you know, faces and voices that they see as they're researching or um, trying mm-hmm. to figure out how they're using their system. And you've kind of become almost like ubiquitous with, with the brand at this point. Hmm. How does that, how does that feel? Uh, it, it feels great. I mean, it was, I didn't set out to do that. What I set out to do was the day after I retired to try to get inside Don Buchla's mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I wanted to do. And I knew it was going to take a long time. Um, and so uh, sort of a byproduct is along the way, you know, YouTube and, you know, I got a cheapo flip cam and just, uh, I love sharing uh, what I learned because the book is so deep that, um, you know, the more that we all share, uh, the the deeper we can all go is, I guess, what I'm thinking. And so, yeah, that was a byproduct of trying to get inside Don Buchla's mind. I don't know if I've successfully done that, but uh, uh, every day I learn something new. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, yeah, you're a big part of why we want to do this podcast too, because it's, um, it's kind of not a lot out there in, in, in concentrated areas to dispense the information that we find about this stuff. And so, yeah, we're kind of trying to continue that in our own way as well. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about your podcast channel. That's a great, uh, great idea. You know, to kind of carry on with what Kyle was saying, I I was doing some sort of Bukla anthropological thinking. (laughs) And so with the 200E around 2004, there've sort of, in my mind, been kind of these three phases of Bukla and the zeitgeist. Uh, The first one was the early adopters like yourself. 2004, 2005, I wouldn't have any clue what Bukla was. Then around 2008, a lot of new modules started to come out and people like Chris Muir and others were really getting into making and Roman were making clones. And there was sort of this um, early modular research or modular resurgence, I guess, with Eurorack starting to come around and about 2012, it hit critical mass. And mm-hmm. then it sort of died down a bit. And now it's seems to be back with the vengeance and (laughs) there was just two years ago kind of a dearth of youtube videos they were mostly done by the same people you and um, a few others who i only know by their names on muff wiggler and Mm. but now there's with bookly usa and red panel and it seems that um the the 200e buyers have sort of hit critical mass there's a lot of us now and Mm -hmm. we're talking about it a lot more and it's moving out of the concentrated forms and into things like Reddit and, you know, Facebook and so on. And do you think just kind of, have you seen that, you know, you were in, you've been there the whole time. Do, do you, does that seem to make sense? That sort of evolution of how Bukla has sort of ebbed and flowed in proper in, um, popularity. Do you think that we're at this sort of critical mass or am I just in the zeitgeist right now? So it's my limited perspective. Uh, no, I, I think you're sort of right on target. Uh, I mean, I don't follow it that much, but I, I would agree, you know, come 2008, Chris Muir was uh, uh, not necessarily making clones. He was making new new things right. within the Buchla format with Don's, um, uh, you know, uh, Don's wanting him to, uh, like the... Uh, like the pendulum ratchet and and then uh, the whole um, 
the, the small modules. That yeah, the module, making. module. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, right. I think 2012 hit sort of like there was a lull, but then it's not only come back with a vengeance with Buchle USA, but I mean, there's a lot of uh, people out there building now in the Buchle format. Uh, uh, yeah. Northern Northern Light Modular has been doing a lot of different things. I, grayscale, there's, yep. I can't even begin to enumerate them. So I think part of it too is finally, you know, I mean, Don's paradigm came about in the 60s and really hit stride with the 200 in the early 70s and the easel in 73, 74. And I feel like we're all just now catching up to his brilliant design. And uh, I'm, you know, even the Eurorack uh, uh, makers are, you know, like the DPO from Make Noise, I think yeah. actually has printed on it 259 homage or something on the PCB. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, so I think people are, uh, it, it's becoming uh, a, uh, people are becoming more fluent in Buchle, in Blue, Buclidian. <laughs> yeah, Buclidian. Yeah, and I guess that also kind of, you talk about that lull until like 2012, 2013, because then the, the easel came out or got reissued mm -hmm. around that time too, which I think is probably a lot of people's gateway into Buchle. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was mine for sure. Mm. Yeah. It still is mine. <laughs> I, I swear every day I go to the studio and every day I still find something new. Like the other day I said, what haven't I done? And all of a sudden I went, well, I haven't done that. You know, <laughs> and I went, oh, wow, there's a whole new universe there. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear, you know, because you've had it for probably about six or seven years now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that you're still able to do that. That gives me hope too. That uh, absolutely, <laughs> and it, it's such a, a fascinating thing because the easel is. I'm not going to use the word limited because it's not. But it, in terms of it's just looking at the 208, it, it doesn't really have a lot there that you know that you would see say in a a big like a nine U Eurorack system. You know, it's all kind of contained, but. There's so much there, I guess, because, just because of the math with the number of patch points and the number of sliders and so on, that the possibilities are seemingly endless in terms of learning the instrument versus something like a violin or a piano where you'll become a virtuoso at it, but you're not necessarily going to create new sounds on a mm -hmm. piano or violin, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it is. Like, like you say, it might be math. I mean, you know, the factorial of how many patch points adds up to millions. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, yeah, uh, as I say, I, I still keep finding new things. Uh, I think, and I don't think it's, it looks limited, but underneath the hood, it's definitely not limited because right. there's so many amazing things. I mean, just the, just the complex oscillator with a timbre slider and timbre knob. Yeah. And then you add in the low pass gate. So you can patch a low pass filter with wave morphing, which is the timbre knob with uh, wave folding. So you have all three of those going on simultaneously. Um, yeah. 
with either uh, same control voltage or different control voltages because you can access the timbre knob through the card. So you could have three different CVs. Um, yeah. Or even changing the wave shape at the same time too. Yeah. That's what I was talking about. The timbre knob is changing the wave. Oh, oh like yeah. This, right. The, the, the switch. Yeah. yeah. You can do the, absolutely. Good point. Yeah. I remember an interview with Charles Cullen. Um, it might've been in text, so it might be apocryphal, but he's sort of, maybe regarded as one of the true experts on the easel and mm -hmm. he even said and this was in the the 2000s when they when the after the new easel had been reissued or close to that time even he said that it was an instrument that he he hadn't truly mastered and yeah. i thought about that recently because yo-yo ma you know the cellist said that mm -hmm. after 50 years of practicing box um mm -hmm. cello, you know, the the solo piece for concello for cello he finally had mastered it after, and this is Yo-Yo Ma. And he's like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not playing it anymore because I have finally mastered it. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, along those lines, it's fascinating because I followed that trajectory. I mean, he recorded, the first time he recorded the Bach cello suites was when he was in his 20s. And then he did it again in his 40s. And then now, so, and I remember just hearing the difference between when he was 20 and when he was 40. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a master class just listening to, to him do that. So, Is, yeah. Isn't that, it's wild, right? Because I, I had the same experience. I listened to him from recording that he made in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And then I heard the final recording. And in the 80s, he was already a master. I mean, he, <laughs> you know, like, how could it get any better? Yeah. But, it, but it did, he got better somehow. <laughs> I don't know. And that's yeah. kind of how we are with the with Bukla. I recorded an album uh, this year, and I listened to it. Um, I, I released it in March, and I listened to it a couple of days ago. And I thought, how the hell did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think yeah, I yeah. can do that again. Well, onward, as always. Yeah. <laughs> you have to do awesome. something. Well, that's the bad thing about ripping out a patch after you record it. But that's a topic for another show. Okay. <laughs> so I get, well, but then I guess to, to speak about um, patching with the easel, um, Todd, you, you play quite a few shows throughout the year and travel around with it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think probably say most of it is, or it seems like a lot of your uh, performances are largely improvised. And so I was wondering, like, do you have a, a base patch that you start out with or do you just kind of pick up from where you left off from um, I do have a base patch. I've called it, I've named it Pontalism after the, uh, the art um, technique of, you know, Surah, like would take a dab of paint and put it on and then another dab. So you would build up dabs of paint and each dab was uh, often a different hue or different color and a different angle. So it picked up the light differently. So I have a patch where if I touch a plate on the easel, I have no frigging idea what's <laughs> going to come out. Everything is randomized. Mm -hmm. And because I have it set to pressure, I can either, you know, slap it with the flat finger and get full volume, or I can start out with my fingernail, which is no volume, and gradually bring it in and then also move it. Um, and so, that's the basic patch and it follows my philosophy of 
follow the sound because I have no choice. <laughs> as soon as I play a note, um, then I work with it. Um, and then I don't know what the next one's going to be. Um, so it's, it's, it, um, it creates a dialogue right off the bat between me and the easel or yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a follow the sound show that you did here in Seattle that I saw you at last year. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, right. No, right. Yeah. So, and, and are you basing, um, I think, so are you using like the, uh, the I program card? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I originally did the Pontalism patch, uh, using the, um, you know, soldered up program card, but I, there's a couple of versions of it in the I program card. So yes, I do use the I program card. Uh, it's in the easel. Sometimes I will spend the first, I don't know, allotted time anywhere from five minutes to 20 or 30, just work in the easel and then engage the I program card or, I mean, or not, or start with the I program card and go, to raw easel that's mm -hmm. everything's available and again it's what's ever happening that evening uh, yeah so is a lot of it um every like the the uh, keyboard is um triggering kind of everything at once like triggering the random triggering the pulser uh what's yeah. kind of the basis within the pontalism path Right. It, it's sending all those four different flavors of random to modulation to pitch of the modulation oscillator to pitch of the of the complex oscillator, sending it to timbre, uh, sending it. Uh, th those are the biggies. Uh, we were just talking about, you know, you're improvising at live shows, but you also record albums, I assume, in your home studio. Mm -hmm. And those those are typically more composed, right? Like your Krell patch seems like you put a lot of thought into how you would construct that patch to achieve the, that Krell sound. So do you do more composition for your albums or more improvisation or a mix? Um, it's been a mix. Uh, this last year, most of the albums I've released have been improvised live in the studio. So, however, that's sort of, changed up i have another album coming out uh, probably in july or august through uh, flag day recordings which is uh, using bukla and hordike and also metasynth and that's definitely more composed yeah. uh, and you know i'm sort of i keep you know i i looked at all the improvising i've been doing for the last couple of years and decided okay it's uh, what happens if i sit down and start you know, multi-tracking and composing again in that way. And I'm enjoying the return to that. Yeah. And, yeah, the Krell patch, I mean, the Krell patch was, uh, I, it was a gift out of somewhere. I, it felt like I was working on it for two, once I found it, I realized the last, the two years before I'd been going toward it, but I didn't know I was going toward it until it just sort of presented itself. Um, 
So yeah, yeah. The, the quell patch is to kind of continue the pontalism metaphor. It's sort of your Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande you know, the <laughs> thing that is the the Todd Barton thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge fan of Forbidden Planet. So mm-hmm. as soon as I saw the quell patch, I thought, wow, yeah, that's you know that that, that inspiration is apt. Mm-hmm. And so the the quell patch, which if we really, you know, if I were to put on my anthropology hat again, there's this first version of the Krell patch that you made. I think it's in an old greeny YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Then you made it again when you were displaying or showing how to use the Ox Expander card for the easel. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the time that I was able to successfully patch it by pausing the video and looking at where. <laughs> <you're going. laughs> so now that the crawl patch has sort of um, entered the mainstream of sorts, it it's kind of taken off, and it has, to my view, become one of the things that that we do with Bukla to try to begin to kind of understand how the how the Bukla works and how to get into that Buk- Buklidian paradigm mm-hmm. you know more than randomness and for pitch or or something like that but really kind of controlling the um what happens in the patch using randomness as a base so have you with with the curl patch kind of being your gift to <laughs> to <laughs> us have you kind of followed the way that other people are doing it um you know with euro rack or with the ESOL or with the 200E, have you kind of looked at that and thought about um, kind of the influence that you've had on that? Or do you have any thoughts about how people are doing the crawl patch now? Uh, well, I just love the, I mean, the whole idea of me sharing my stuff is that I'm hoping it's merely a springboard for everybody else's imagination and creativity. So it delights me that other people are taking the Krell patch and translating it into Eurorack or Surge, or um, I've translated it into Hordike. Um, so, yeah, I just love watching all the permutations. And it's since it was a gift out of nowhere to me, and I'm just passing it forward. And so enjoying uh, watching it uh, have a life of its own. Yeah, it, it's even to the point you know you're famous when the thing you've created nobody knows that you made it (laughs) (laughs) we talked about on reddit um the krell patch you know came up in with the synthesizers community and somebody googled krell well krell was a manufacturer of home theater gear in the 90s yes so they were like why why is this patch named after music (laughs) (laughs) well uh, the, the one i like is i think there was a uh, it was a Korg uh, Volca crawl patch that just came out. Yeah, um, and uh, and it uh, the voiceover said that I had created the Krell music for <laughs> the Forbidden Planet on a bukla in 1956. Yeah, wow. that, that all checks out. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's like it's like what's that game, Chuckle Belly or whatever, a telephone where yeah. <laughs> everything just just gets totally uh, modulated beyond recognition. So. Listeners, you heard it here first. Todd created the music for <laughs> Forbidden Planet on a very early Bukla 005 
Yeah, I was I was seven years old too. Yeah, yeah. Do you still have that time machine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the easel. <laughs> it's really wild, you know. Just as a quick aside, to to read about how the composers, just I believe a husband and wife, but I might be mistaken, but they how they created that the Krell, you know, the Krell music for Forbidden Planet. I mean, way way ahead of their time. They're doing things then that I can't really figure out how to do now. Absolutely. Well, they were building circuits based on uh, Norbert Wiener's uh, cybernetics book on cybernetics, and they were building with vacuum tubes. So, yikes! (laughs) You know, uh, don't do this at home, kids, for sure. Um, But they were self-generating. The reason I named it Krell, even though my Krell patch was never intended to sound like the Krell music that B.B. and Louis Barron did. It was homage to their self-generating feedback patches, yeah. which is basically what they were doing, was creating feedback modules that were self-generating. And I got a chance to spend a whole day and evening with B.B. Barron. Wow. Um, uh, boy, back in the 2000s. And I remember asking her about it, and she just still lit up. She said, the first one we made, we plugged it in, and nothing happened. (laughs) And we were so disappointed. And then we just, we forgot we left it plugged in, and we went about, you know, doing stuff in their studio, because John Cage was using their studio, and they were, they had other gigs, uh, for scoring avant-garde films. And a couple hours later, they heard a sound. And they go, what's that? And the module had heated up enough to start to feed back. And at first it was a high pitch, and then it started to fibrillate and break off into multi-pitches. Then it started getting louder, and then it started getting really loud, and then it finally exploded and died. And she said, we realized it had its own life cycle. So then they just started building as many as they could and recording and just plugging them in and, and you know, turn the tape decks on <laughs> and, and grab these before they die. Wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's the, those self self-destructing so well life cycles i loved it she you know she actually talked about it almost like a person you know it had a beginning uh, uh, birth adolescence uh, maturity and uh, and death so that's kind of um maybe one of the very first generative electronic music scores if if we can kind of co-opt the word generative for a moment yeah i mean generative music is really tough to do in in an orchestra although it's been done um you know, lots like Lamont Young has done some crazy stuff with live instruments doing, you know, minimal guidance and letting them, the listeners follow each or the uh, players follow each other. But in electronic music, of course, we can sort of use more of a genetic algorithm mm-hmm. or it's something to kind of seed the randomness and the, mm-hmm. um, and the music can kind of go off on its own. And then in our heads, we're forming the melodies, even though the the music mm-hmm. itself doesn't necessarily contain the melodies. Mm-hmm. So the um, kind of coming back to the Krell patch one of the, and randomness, that's kind of also one of the things that, at least for me, that I, I identify with you is your kind of control over random, you know, with the ESOL mm. and with the 266 and the 200E system. And I was kind of curious about how you think about 
randomness. You know, in one of your videos, you said you're only in many of your videos, you're only as expressive as your control voltages and <laughs> random randomness is a very expressive control voltage that is really hard to wrangle and, you know, make musical if we have in our minds what we want that music to sound like. So mm. can, you, can you talk about how and, and I'm getting really I'm getting, you know, music, music theory here and you don't have to go into that so much. But and just in terms of how you think about randomness and what it means to you with the ESOL, the 266 and sample and hold circuits, you know, kind of mm -hmm. am I reading too much into that? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, uh, you know, I think randomness and the 266 is the heart of sort of the Buclidian body, if you will. And uh, for me, uh, the source of uncertainty, as it's called, is uh, it's a spice. Um, you know, it, you can use it. Uh, some people only like one drop of hot sauce on their eggs. Mm -hmm. uh, I might have a tablespoonful. Uh, it's it's a personal statement. <laughs> it's who you are uh, or what what your taste is that day. And so randomness can be used incredibly subtly, or it can be used dramatically and everything in between. And um, what I love about, you know, Don's randomness is it seems inherently musical. Uh, uh, I've, you know, played with lots of different random uh, modules, you know, generator modules over the years, but there's something about however he designed it that uh, I think that's what made my first Krell patch come alive is because of the inherent musicality, because Don was a musician. Um, he happened to be a great designer, but he designed music, he designed his electronic instruments for musicians and for composers. And randomness uh, is, you know, it plays into everything we do. And it, as, you know, as an acoustical, you know, if I put on my acoustical instrument hat, I grew up playing trumpet and uh, I've spent 30 years playing the Japanese bamboo flute, shakuhachi. And never, never are any two notes exactly alike. And it's these subtle random changes in breath pressure, timbre, uh, in the shakuhachi, whether you're hearing wind or noise or not. Um, so that plays really well into, for me, into the Buclidian paradigm because Don has given us so many different flavors of randomness and uh, various preponderances and densities just within the 266 source of uncertainty. You have fluctuating random voltage, quantized random voltage, stored random voltage, and in the original, you had a sample and hold, plus three flavors of noise. So, you know, I could spend a month just with that module. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just yeah we spent a couple hours with with um, both of them side by side the the two hundred series version and the E version mm -hmm. and um, I mean it's amazing kind of yeah to see the progression of just how much you can fit into that single space module mm -hmm. yeah um, and what have you found kind of like between the two differences um, they both have their strengths and they both have their weaknesses but um, as a composer and as a performer strengths and weaknesses are basically the same 
they're not a judge they're not a judgment call it's like i capitalize on the weaknesses and i capitalize on the strengths as a composer and performer but one thing on the at least i don't have i've never played an original or played with an original 266 Uh, i just have a clone Uh, but i have heard that even the original the noise is pretty much looped there's a yeah you can actually hear hear it looping hmm. um which um then to capitalize on that it's a looping and if you ratchet up or if you, you can take that and actually send it to an envelope follower and it'll drive an envelope follower hmm. so then you can grab random pulses out of that and send it anywhere in the system um so that's pretty cool um the sample and holds uh, is nice on the uh, 266. On the 266E, the stored random voltages sort of actually are a sample and hold, uh, but you have much more control with uh, skew, degree, and chaos knobs on that. Yeah, how much do you kind of get into to tweaking those? Well, uh, back to Robert's point, or. Uh, uh, you were asking how I wrangle it to make it do what I want musically. Um, I don't. <laughs> but for those of you that would like to make it, quote, musical, <laughs> I have done this, actually. Um, you, uh, In fact, gosh, I think I just did a video on this. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's sitting in my archive. So if you... Uh, send a periodic um, voltage to the stored random voltages and dial in degree and chaos, you can actually get what sounds like a sequenced sequenced, uh, phrase Mm. that will keep repeating and every now and then it'll sort of, you know, uh, it'll you can of course make it as chaotic or as not chaotic as you want by dialing in those uh, parameters but you can sync it up and use it as a baseline and it can be incredibly melodic i'll have to try that yeah and uh, i'll see if i can find that video if it's something i've actually posted i'll i'll let you know if it's not i'll i'll drop box you the one um so yeah, I, there's uh, there's a lot to be mined out of that one. The two sixty six, I have the E. So the two sixty six E is such a fascinating module. Mm. And, you know, after playing my two hundred E for about a year now, and it it's sort of um, there are a lot of things about the Buchla that. You, you know, you could easily believe that Don designed it that way. And then there are the happy accidents. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about the 266E is that it starts the simplest at the top and gets a little bit more complex in its usage as you go down. So the fluctuating random source and the white noise, you know, that those are really easy to use. And, and as if you think about it as a musical construct, a sine wave of shape, you know, a sine wave shape coming from the fluctuating source is sort of easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And then when you move down to quantized and you've got distribution and there's some math in there, and then you move down into stored and then you actually have to know what's going on there to be able to, to really grok it. 
And mm. I was thinking about that when we were recording the demo because I was learning about the module as I was talking about it in this podcast. <laughs> pretty, uh -huh. pretty funny. And it, as an introduction to Buchla, I think it's one of the most important modules you can get along with like the 281 and the 292. And it, it, it's so iconic, but it, it doesn't do anything if you don't know what it does. If that makes any sense, like an oscillator will always make sound, even if you don't know what sounds you want out of it. But the, right. the 266 yeah. requires some effort, but it returns exponentially on that investment, which is a fascinating aspect of that module. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, you can cascade all those sections together. You can yeah. drive the quantized random with the fluctuating random voltage. You have yeah. to ramp it up to high high speed. Uh, you know, turn the knob to 11, <laughs> fluctuating random voltage, but it'll trigger the quantized, then quantized can trigger the stored, and then you can send it back out the stored back into the fluctuating. Wow, not to do that. Yeah. So, the, and then you have all these parameters to play with. So you were talking about um, envelope followers a minute ago, and the 230E is probably Kyle's all-time favorite module. <laughs> and I was thinking about uh, the, using the three envelope followers with the three noise sources mm -hmm. coming from, and you could actually do some pretty cool things with that now that I think, because you could mix them and have mm -hmm. that as its own output, but then you could also get individual envelopes from each noise source, the flat, the mid, and the, and the mm -hmm. high. That would be a pretty compelling way to do some fascinating modulation on like the 291E on its modulation inputs or the MIMSKU on the 259. Some pretty cool possibilities there. I'm gonna have to do that. Well, I don't have a 230E, but maybe I should get one. Kyle does. Yeah, Kyle's got a, he has a 24U with 24 230Es in it. Yeah, right, yeah. It's our, uh, that's our inside joke of, <laughs> Uh, I feel as much uh, Buchla content as we consume and all the patches that we see on, on YouTube and everything. <laughs> I always feel like the 230 is always in its corner, never patched up. So we've, we've named it the loneliest module. <laughs> it, 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 it's a situational module, but now, you know, kind of joking aside, it, it actually seems as I learn more about how to, to make the kind of music I want to make on my Buchla, I'm realizing that the modules that I didn't understand or didn't get the point of, like maybe the 272E or even the 230E, I think, yeah, there's something there that I could really make some expressive sounds and some fascinating control voltages if I were using that module. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, and it's what, uh, well, the the 130 version is what Morton Sabotnik used a lot in Silver Apples and onward because he was, you know, using his voice to create control voltage shapes that were being read by the envelope follower and changed into pulses and uh, CV, continuous CV. I think I'm gonna have to get one now. Kyle will yeah. Kyle will win and be able to <laughs> <laughs> show him patches. I'm gonna have an album that uses it. Go for it, man. Go for it. Excellent. Um, so I guess to kind of sign off on the this, 266 are there when you're kind of making a, a um a crow patch or, or just in making music in general do you kind of for each section tend to go to the same um 
um, then patch it into the same sources over and over? Like, is there a specific thing that you just like using um, fluctuating random voltage for compared to the stored random voltage? Hmm. Not really. <laughs> yeah, I'm always, a, you know, I was trying to take the fluctuating random voltage, like boost it up into audio range the other day. So, I mean, I'm always trying yeah. strange things. How did that work out? Uh, well, okay, still some more. The jury's out on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, um, if we can switch the topic for a minute, you're oh. reissuing an album on tape. Um, was it called Row? I, I just oh, yeah, saw it. Right. Yeah. And that's using the, is that using the Japanese flute that you were talking about? Yes, that's the shakuhachi. Yeah. So yeah. I had a, I have a question about that related to Bukla. You know, the, we were talking about Yo-Yo Ma with the cello and all of that. And we, all these different instruments that we can use to express our musical interests and, and such. Are there, you have this big body of work of improv, improvised music and a body of work of composed music. Do you, when you approach the kind of musical story that you want to tell, is the is the bukla the kind of the destination for that music, the way that the like you did with row with the Japanese flute, or is it you're just selecting an instrument to get your musical ideas expressed, hmm. or somewhere in between? I know that's a heavy question, Todd. So <laughs> you reserve the right to change your mind later. Well. Uh, um... I guess I find myself having multiple personalities. <laughs> and uh, there's the Shakuhachi personality, and then there's the Bukla personality. So, uh, you know, the, uh, they have me in common, but um, um, yeah. So you're kind of. I'm. I might be putting you in a box then. So you, if you're, you're a multi-instrumentalist in, in, in the sense, so you are using the instrument to play the Like if you were in a jazz group, you might play the trumpet. Um, yeah. So that that's that's an interesting thing about Bukla too, is it, in, in my mind anyway, it sort of frames things because it's, it's a unique electronic instrument. Like the, you know, like a, a viola is a unique string instrument. Uh, yes, you know I mean? yes, but, 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 um, you know, Don, in fact, in the, he writes a little blurb in the, uh, in Alan Strange's uh, Manual to the Easel back in 1974, and he says, I wanted to create an instrument that is non-prescriptive. In other words, it's uncertain. And we're back to uh, Don believed in uncertainty. I be, I think, and he he um, he lived the uncertainty. Uh, and he, mm, uh, you know, he didn't want an instrument that sounded like a viola or that had those limitations. In fact, one reason he, you know, if you get the manual you have with your 200E, the owner's manual for each module is one or maybe two pages. Yeah. And it doesn't, it tells you sort of what it does, but it doesn't tell you how to interact with other things. Yeah. And he did that on purpose because he wanted people to surprise him. He wanted to see what happens when the composer or performer or musician gets 
practice and what they do with it, because they will, if they are given a manual, then they'll do what the manual says. Mm. And if they're not given a manual, they will experiment. And I think he was always wanting us to experiment. I mean, I remember getting my first 200E and I would call him up and say, so can I do this? Or what do you think I should do here? And there'd be like a freaking minute of silence. <laughs> and then he'd say, you could do that. <laughs> well, what should I do? More silence. Hmm whatever you want. <laughs> so, I mean, that's living it. That's, he's, you know, he forced me into uncertainty. Hmm. And um, I responded well. <laughs> the, the manual is, it, it's almost like a, another contribution that Don and the team made to the kind of the, the book club world, you know, it, I remember reading the 297 docs and it just told me, you know, how much phasing it does and didn't, it says it has an envelope follower. And it's like, well, what do I, <laughs> what do I do with this? It's not like a phaser pedal, you know, but right. how do I make this sound good? Right. It took a right. long time for me to be able to do anything interesting with that. Module. Well, and that brings up, you know, if I make one point, it's what Bukla has taught me is patience and waiting, waiting for the, the, the only reason the Krell patch happened is because I would dial a bunch of stuff in and I would get nothing. But uh, what composition has taught me is sitting in front of a blank piece of paper for 45 minutes and not getting anything down is part of the process. <laughs> and waiting, I would sometimes wait three or four minutes, just like BB Baron. And, and Louie, you know, it's like they plugged the module in and nothing happened. And I think so many of, I think it's human nature that we want instant gratification. But there's so many universes inside the Buclidian world if we just wait for it. Yeah. And that's a hard practice. Hmm. Words to live by for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably as good a place as any to, to end on. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, my pleasure, Robert and Kyle. Thank you for um, inviting me. It's yeah. a pleasure. And once again, I learned something new from you, Todd. So thanks. <laughs> so if people want to reach out to you um, for music or for actual getting lessons um, and using their instruments, where should they reach you? Uh, toddbarton.com. Yeah. Todd, uh, the, there are tabs there to my music. There's tabs to Skype lessons. Um, and you can contact me through email there. And your, your video series on Mac pro video is also still available and goes over the Skylab. Uh, yeah, it goes over the Skylab and then there's another one devoted to the easel. Yeah. Those are fantastic. I highly recommend those. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot, Todd. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. My pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you, Todd Barton, for being on the show today. Be sure to check out toddbarton.com. And while we talked a lot about Bukla in this podcast, if you want to hear more from Todd, be sure to check out episode 38 of Podular Modcast.
We'd also like to thank our Spotlight Artists of the Month. You can find Nezrup at nezrup, N-E-J-R-U-P, dot bandcamp, dot com. And you can also find uh, Jamie Duran at infrequencyeditions.bandcamp.com. Be sure to check out our friends at the Podium Modcast and the new Esoteric Modulation Podcast. And subscribe to Waveform Magazine at waveformmagazine.com to get a free print magazine mailed to your door. Check us out at sourceofuncertainty.audio and on Instagram at sourceofuncertainty. You can find my music at mutirand.com. And you can find my music at darksparkler.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to next time.